everybody, and welcome to another episode of Comics and Cinema. I'm your host, Alex Klein, and boy, you guys are in for a treat because we're getting the double dip. I'm here with my brother, Stephen Klein, again uh, to talk about some movies that we just saw and to uh, dive a little bit into the news. Uh-oh. So on today's episode, we're going to be talking about uh, the comments that Martin Scorsese uh, had about Marvel, and then also... We're going to be talking about uh, the movie Sinister that we saw right after recording the last podcast. And also uh, kind of a twisted movie that we just got out of the theater uh, not 15 minutes ago called Joker. So let's dive right into it. Stevie, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm well fed. I finished my dinner just before the recording session, so I'm ready to go. That's fantastic, and I'm actually continuing my dinner right now. And a shout-out to Eddie Line Brewery for a pumpkin patch ale made with pumpkin spice and honey. Wow, they sponsor the show. That's uh, Nope, they're not, but we can only hope. So if you guys, if they're hearing me, uh, here we go. So uh, you brought this up, and it's funny. I wanted to talk about this on the podcast, but I, I'd forgotten about it because these comments mean nothing to me. So I just I'd completely forgot about it. Uh, but you brought it up, so we're going to talk about it. So. So Martin Scorsese was interviewed by Empire Magazine, and he he uh, he does not consider the superhero movies to be cinema. So I'm going to quote him. I've got it right up here. He said, I don't see them. I tried, you know, but that's not cinema. Honestly, the closest thing I can think of them, as well made as they are, with actors doing as best they can under the circumstances, is theme parks. It isn't the cinema of human beings trying to convey emotion, psychological experiences to another human being. So, um... That uh, that was his comment, and uh, so I want to before I dive into what my thoughts are, and I'm sure you guys know what my thoughts are. But uh, <laughs> you want me to go first? Yeah, yeah, Joker. Why don't you go first? Um, I my my first reaction was just hilarity at the reaction from everybody else. I think it's amazing to see people acting like his opinion matters so much that they're going to lose their minds and try to discredit everything that he's done. Right. Um, It's Martin Scorsese. I mean, this is the guy who made Taxi Driver, you know, pick a a movie out of a hat, right? Raging Bull. You can't swing a cat without hitting the movie he's made. He's Scorsese. So when I, you know, I, we're going to get, I think, eventually do a podcast about these movies in particular. Uh, so here's a preview. I, I sort of agree with him. I understand what he means, right? The way he defines cinema clearly, and he, you know, he lays it out in that quote talking about, you know, do these movies get into what conveying emotion and different experiences. And in that way, he is right because I, well, I don't want to say that he's right because obviously we're talking about an opinion, but I agree with him because I don't think that many of the superhero movies go for that sort of thing. Obviously, we're going to be talking about one that does tonight, if you even want to consider it a superhero movie. But, uh, yeah, I see where he's coming from, and I I think the theme park thing works because I do agree that the superhero movies are more more of an entertainment piece than they are furthering the art of film or cinema, whatever you want to call it. Oh man, uh, are we gonna have to have this conversation? Yeah, you want to? We don't have to, but that's yeah. Go ahead. I, I, and you know what? I do agree with you. Actually, I do agree with that. I think art is subjective, and I've said this multiple times on the podcast. Art is subjective. 
if you have an opinion about something, whatever the movie is, you are not wrong in your opinion because everyone views movies differently. When you're sitting in a movie theater, Stevie and I are sitting in The Joker. Uh, we're both watching the same movie, but we probably have either a different opinion or at least a variance in opinion because we have different life experiences. Same with the lady who was sitting next to us eating a cheeseburger and her boyfriend <laughs> next to him that had his shoes off on the thing and his phone rang. So everybody uh, has a little different opinion. Now, I, it's funny because I, the, the comment hasn't been made in a while. But every once in a while, the comment is made that there's a difference between cinema, between something being uh, a film and something being a movie. That's just, it's a matter of semantics. And, really. and it's a matter, exactly. It's a matter of semantics, but I think there's a certain group or, um, I guess you could, honestly, you could probably, I don't know if you would call it like an age range or whatever it is, but you've got people like Scorsese and... Um, I'm trying to think of there's some others, but they they have this opinion that James they're... James Gray. James Gray, sure. Uh, what, what's his David Lynch. Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke. Uh, who's the other one? Steven Spielberg. Well, uh, I wouldn't put Spielberg in there because has he... he I don't know I mean, if he's made a comment. He's on it he's yet. a big blockbuster guy. So right, right, which is funny. Really, yeah. And I, it's I, I maybe I saw that somewhere. I don't know if he's made any comments. I'm not sure, but we'll, we'll focus on Scorsese for a minute. So he's made a ton of phenomenal jaw dropping movies. And and you know maybe there's a question mark around jaw drop. They're they're beautiful movies, but they don't they don't make your jaw drop the same way that Captain America catching Mjolnir <laughs> after uh, smacking Thanos in the face does. But uh, his movies are brilliant, and they're really well made, and most of them have Robert De Niro in them. And I don't think he's wrong for his comments. He Again, he can believe what he wants to believe, but I, I just think it's really interesting in this time period that it's almost like people feel like they have to defend these movies one way or another, they, whether they're defending the Scorsese-type movies or they're defending Marvel movies, superhero movies, whatever you want to call them. It's like... There can be both. You can have it all. Like, there can be movies in the movie theater that are meant to be these dramas that don't have any punching, or maybe they have a lot of punching, but they don't have any special effects or, you know, huge budgets. And then you can have the inverse of that with, with superhero movies. And I think the problem is is that people like Scorsese, they have a very high opinion of the films that they have made or the films in that area of like, okay, like, you want a quote-unquote good movie, go go see Taxi Driver. Like, no question there. But if you also want a really good movie, go check out Avengers Endgame. That's a really good movie as well. And they're very different movies, but they both elicit uh, feelings within you. And I'll tell you this much, I cried way more in Avengers Endgame than I did in any Scorsese movie that I've ever seen. So if you're wanting to talk about emotion or a human connection, I would argue that... Uh, the Marvel movies get me more, but that's just who I am. So I, it's not that I, I don't, I agree with his opinions because you can't disagree with somebody's opinions because they're opinions, but, um, that doesn't make sense. You don't think so? No. I mean, you, you either agree or disagree with what he's saying. Well, then I disagree with what he's saying. I guess, I guess you could say, but, uh, uh did you want to go into that a little more on your end? Um, I, I mean, I don't, I feel like the more I go into it, the more you're going to want to. No, no. I'll it. tell you what. I'll let you. I'll let you have the final word. Go ahead. And then yeah, we'll I, go to the movie. It's. I. I don't know how much. To Alex, it's no secret that I'm not a big fan of. Um, not just like. And again, you know, he said Marvel movies. This is an attack on Marvel. This is about. It's really about blockbusters and just generally action films. I'm not a fan of that kind of movie. Period. Because, really, I don't get much out of it. 
there's a lot of critics and filmmakers who talk about movies as sort of a machine to generate empathy. And, you know, it gives people the opportunity to tell stories about different types of people, to present these different issues or whatever. And at the end of the day, blockbusters generally don't do that. Blockbusters are a spectacle, right? And they they activate adrenaline and they do all these other things. But you can understand why Scorsese would say that they're not film, even though you don't want to, you might not agree with that classification. That's how he sees the word cinema, and the way he explains it, I agree because you know they they serve different functions, and the comparison to a theme park shouldn't really offend because theme parks are fun. Exactly, 100% right? and agree with you. Yeah. Those movies are fun if you're into them, but you know it's Scorsese, and obviously his films are completely different. I guess in not I know I said that you'd have the final thought, but I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna take the final thought. This is my podcast. Sure. Uh, well, no, all I'll say, all I'm gonna say is I, I I agree, and I think that's right because I I would say hats off to anybody who can go to a movie theater and enjoy a quote unquote theme park ride type movie and enjoy a Scorsese type movie because it's I I would just say be grateful that you are have such an open mind that you can enjoy all types of movies that are on the screen and clearly. There are movies that are not good. There's bad movies out there. And I'm sure Stevie would say some Marvel ones, superhero, it doesn't matter. But the fact is that getting worked up about it is is the crazy part. And so I agree with you in that. The people yeah. who are freaking out online about this, who feel the need without being paid by Marvel to defend Marvel or any other superhero genre, it's like this guy is just giving his opinion. There's no reason for you to freak out about this. Just continue going to the movies and continue enjoying these movies as you see fit. And if you love theme park movies, great. If you love uh, Scorsese movies, also great. So um, hopefully that's good enough. And, I, I, yeah, I don't think there's any more to say on that. But, yeah, there's just no, there's absolutely no reason to lose your mind over something someone says, especially if it's someone that, you know, there's nothing you can do to change that guy's mind. He He's a brilliant filmmaker, and he feels like his craft is, is a little a cut above, and in a way it is. So with that, we'll, uh, we'll move into these movies. So uh, the movie that we saw last, uh, yesterday, or was it two, two days ago? Barely saw. Uh, yeah, barely <laughs> saw, and, I, and that was actually going to be my big talking point on this one, is the movie Sinister. Uh, this is a 2012 movie. It's only an hour, and, but not only. It's an hour and 50 minutes long. And it's by Scott Derrickson and written by Scott Derrickson and C. Robert Cargo. So uh, it stars Ethan Hawke as Ellison Oswalt and then Juliet Rylance as his wife Tracy, who does not have a last name. And then James Ransone, who you guys might know from the It uh, Chapter 2, he's actually in this movie as a police officer. And subsequently, he is the main character in the sequel, the Sinister 2 sequel, which is really cool. So uh, this movie is about a, and I'm sure most of you have seen it, it's a really scary, great movie, but it's about a writer who is, you could argue, a method writer. He likes to be near the scenes of crime so that he can investigate them and write uh, true crime books. And so in this case, he he moved himself and his family into the house of a family who was murdered, and uh, things just start spiraling once he's moved in there. Uh, starts seeing things. He finds a box in the attic with some old 8mm film that uh, displays these murders, both the person in this house and then in prior homes uh, from other families that are uh, really twisted, wild, 
uh, sort of crazy home videos. And uh, I know Stevie and I made home videos when we were younger. These aren't those kinds of home videos. They're a little different, a little more uh, intimate, I guess you could say. But uh, it's a really scary movie. It's an incredibly scary movie. But one of the things that made this movie extra scary this time around was that my brother had the uh, brightness on his TV at 50% on the TV, somehow thinking that that was enough of compensation. But, guys, there were scenes where Ethan Hawke was walking down a hallway that uh, all you could see was Ethan Hawke's face. The rest of the TV was completely black. And uh, it ended up being a really good laugh for me and my brother. Yeah, because realized. Yeah, because the whole time Stevie's going, oh, uh, guys, this is fine. This is just how the movie is shot, guys. Well, Come on. that and the fact that this is a plasma TV. It's got the blackest blacks. And I don't think I'm wrong. The problem was <laughs> we had it in – the setting, I think, was cinema mode, which makes things darker generally. And I, I don't want to crank the brightness on a lot of these movies just because sure. I want to experience it right. uh, with a little uh, with a little truth to the movie. But, sure, a little, a little. But, yeah, it was hilarious that we couldn't see a thing. So we cranked the brightness up, and we, we got it figured out. And, and guys, we, we, put, yeah. we put the brightness up to 78. And when we did that, ever, suddenly the whole world was bright, and it was crazy. You could start seeing the walls. You can almost see too much, though. Well, well but there was still a lot of dark, and it sure. was crazy because we, no joke, I mean, getting, you know, if, you get, if any of you have seen The Joker, uh, and I'll, I will warn you guys of this as well, and I, I've, I say this in all my podcasts, we will be talking spoilers on Joker. We're going to go full spoilers on it. So once we're done talking about Sinister, you can press pause on it, but I will say one brief thing, which is that... Um, and actually, I won't spoil it, but I'll just say we were laughing like the Joker while we were watching this movie after the brightness had turned up because we just couldn't stop laughing at, like, how normal the movie was now that we saw it. And it was it was great because it got Stevie real real jazzed up, uh, and uh, but it ended up being a great movie. It was still super, super scary. So that movie is just all kinds of messed up, and I... I I'm trying to think. Was there any? Was there any uh, new takeaways that you had in seeing it again this time? Uh, I don't think so. Um, generally, I think the sort of supernatural element is kind of goofy, and I think it was maybe even the first time that I saw it. But it remains a scary movie, and to me, the scariest aspect of it are those home videos. I remember when we saw this in theaters. I literally cringed and covered my eyes. I couldn't watch yeah. the one with the lawnmower. Yeah, oh yeah. And this might have been the first time that I actually saw the lawnmower part because I know it's it's just grotesque and terrifying to watch. It's so messed up. Yeah, but I mean, if you haven't seen this movie, go watch it right now because it's it's probably one of the, I think one of the scariest movies of this decade. I guess up there with like Paranormal Activity. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, it's a great one to watch. It came out during a really uh, good. It was in a, that good time of scary movies because there had been. It almost felt felt like before those movies, uh, maybe in the like early two thousands, it was a lot of like remakes, like the remake of Friday the Thirteenth, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and, and those movies are good in their own right. They're really funny. They're not amazing movies, but they're they're fun to watch. But then for some reason, it just seemed like. When uh, the turn of the decade hit, like around 2009, there just were a ton of scary movies that were legitimately scary. You had the paranormal activities, the sinister, the uh, cabin in the woods. Uh, there was a couple of other ones too that were on the the trailers for this movie. That was like, oh my god, that's right. Like there were a lot of real the movies that just really stepped up the scary story game. 
And uh, the thing I noticed on this one, too, was that it seems like Ethan Hawke keeps playing, like, a bumbling schmuck in all of his movies, uh, which is really funny. I don't know if that's how he is in real life, but I just, he's like, he was a horrible parent. The fact that he made his family move into this house where people got murdered and he didn't tell them, like, he, he was like, ah, it'll be fine, it's not a big deal, and then screwed them up even more to the point where they're like, we're leaving, we're moving. And that was the whole key to them getting murdered at the end anyway, right. is that the curse was when whoever moves into the house where the murders happen, when they move into a different house, they are then murdered by their kid. And so it was, and the movie was no less scary knowing the ending and knowing how it happened. But yeah, especially to what you're saying, that lawnmower one, is it's so creepy because... It looks so benign, as and you know something's coming, but you don't really know what. And then it's literally like in the blink of an eye that head and body shows up, and it's like, oh god! And uh, and then yeah, it's it's just it's a nightmare. But yeah, no, that's probably one of the scariest movies I would say that I've ever seen. Yeah, it's up there. It's a great movie. Yeah. Uh, okay, so let's get into the main event, which is, uh, and I just typed it in on IMDb as joking, but it's uh, Joker. So this movie uh, just came out a couple days ago. It's uh, two hours and one minute, directed by Todd Phillips and written by Todd Phillips and Scott Silver. Movie stars Joaquin Phoenix as the Joker, Arthur Fleck, Robert De Niro as Murray Franklin, Zazie Beetz as uh, Arthur Fleck's neighbor, Sophie, and then uh, Francis Conroy as Penny Fleck. So again, guys, we are going to be going into spoilers for this movie and uh, so if you don't want to hear those, just pause this. Go see the movie. I highly recommend going to see it. It was a really good movie. Um, so go see it. Come back and listen to this. But we're going to dive right in. So this is really interesting. We got uh, – wow, this is actually super interesting. I'm going to point this out too. I always, I always say this. Take your reviews with a grain of salt. But right now the Joker is at a meta score with 55 critic reviews at a 58 Metacritic score. But there are 103,000 reviews on here and it is at or ratings it's at a 9.1 uh which that's pretty shocking that's uh it's probably above end game right now that's pretty crazy but uh so no we're gonna dive right in and, and as i said it's interesting because stevie and i literally went and saw the movie left drove here turned stevie had his chimichangas and then we we turned on yes. the recorder so we have not talked about this movie at all we do not know what each other's thinking and i i gotta know what you thought about this movie Am I starting then? Yeah, I I really enjoyed it. I thought, uh, I mean, it it really was provocative in a way that I think it kind of earned the concern from people. I don't agree with the concern. Obviously, we've had, you know, these shockingly violent movies or these you know psychological pieces before, and they don't really cause any uprest. But uh, I don't think we've seen that sort of thing at this scale or at this level to be, you know, a giant blockbuster tentpole movie like that. So I think it's really cool that we have one to point to now. And yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I thought the score was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. A lot of strings. Um, it's some Icelandic composer. Uh, of course, Joaquin Phoenix did a great job. I, I don't think I would say that I'd put him over Heath Ledger as the Joker, but just, in terms of you know telling the story of Arthur Fleck, the way that it's written in this film, he did a fantastic job. Uh, yeah, my the only complaint that I could think of is I thought the tone towards the end was 
interesting because it seems, you know, we have all this sort of 70s music popping up. It kind of portrays this as a triumphant rise for him, which I get because it's the Joker. And, you know, we're kind of building this supervillain. But at the same time, I think that that's probably what critics had an issue with because, you know, this whole movie we've seen a really disturbed guy, a guy with, you know, some mental health issues. And then he becomes a killer and a murderer. And then we're supposed to sort of sympathize or feel excited that he did that. And I can understand why people would take issue with that. But I think it works here because we all know that this is supposed to be this fictional character Joker. And it's a really cool Batman backstory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I just pulled this up. So the, the composer was Hildur Guanadotir. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that because there's a lot of lines. Guthna Daughter, I think. would. Guthna Daughter? Yeah. Okay. She composed Joker, but she was also in the music department for Arrival, Sicario, Revenant, Chernobyl. Uh, and it says she perf- performed on Handmaid's Tale? Um, oh, maybe a performance. But um, So, yeah. And then the cinematography I thought was kind of interesting, too. Lawrence Schur did that. But, yes, I, I thought it was a really good movie, too. And I was I was trying to think, like... To me, when when all this stuff was coming out, like all the, oh, no, like uh, we need more security at the movie theaters. Uh, maybe you guys shouldn't go see this movie opening weekend. And, and to our credit, Stevie and I did not go opening weekend and specifically for that reason. But it, it was more just because we were here in Colorado. And so there, it was a little closer to home. But Yeah, I live in Aurora. It, right. So regardless, uh, it, it was... It was unfounded, and and I'll be inter- I won't be interested to see. But I have not heard a single thing about this movie yet in terms of that. I have not heard of a single uh, like uh, let's see, shooting or in- no injuries reported. Like nothing has happened. Every- everyone's just going to see the movie as normal. So I think the media blew it way out of proportions, and uh, they. I mean, they even were like, oh, despite despite the fears joker's doing really well and it's like it's like they want it to happen and and it didn't which is good but i was trying as i'm in the movie i was i was like oh after the movie i feel i felt inspired by that movie but uh no not at all the movie has absolutely nothing in it that would make some i mean i guess maybe it could for the right person who has mental problems but it just it was a they they made good on their promise todd phillips had specifically said that when you actually watch this movie, you will know that they are not uh, glorifying what the Joker is doing. And they make very clear that they're not glorifying what he's doing, especially at the end. So uh, the movie is about uh, Arthur Fleck, who, like Stevie said, is he's got some mental problems. And what I thought was really good about this movie was they really leaned into the whole we don't really know Joker's origin. And they so they kind of give it to you, but it's in piecemeal. So... There's one part of the movie where the Joker's mom says that she, he's the the like bastard son of Thomas Wayne, and you're like, whoa! And I'm thinking during the movie, I was like, that would actually make for a really cool, like that would have been a really cool thing either in the comics or the movies to find out that the Joker's greatest villain is at, or the Batman's greatest villain is his brother right. that he didn't know. I was like, wow, that would actually be super cool. But then as the movie kind of unravels, you find out that the mom also had a ton of mental problems and was super abusive and actually adopted him. And he was like an adopted kid. 
And so it was like, okay, well, but then did Thomas, because Thomas Wayne was like, no, I've already done this. Like the mom specifically said, yeah, I signed an NDA and all this stuff so that I couldn't tell anybody about you. So it was like, well, then who's telling the truth? Is it Joker's mom or is it Thomas Wayne? Or So it's like that kind of mystery surrounding his origin where you don't know. And that, that was, I thought was really cool and really creepy. And the the whole thing with Zazzy Beats I actually thought was cool too because I thought originally I was like, oh, cool. You know, the whole incel culture, I was like, oh, he's like dating Zazzy Beats. That's no, great. Like I, I knew almost immediately that that was all in his head because yeah. especially the, one of the first scenes that we see, she comes to his apartment and she, she says, you're so funny, Arthur. And it's like she, he never told her his name. So that was a dead giveaway to oh, me. Oh, I missed that. And of course, I mean, every scene that we saw with him and her, he didn't have his normal laughing affliction. You know, it was it was sort of him in this confident headspace, you know, point. imagining who he could be if he didn't have the issues that he had. And yeah, so, and I think I just saw, I actually just saw her post on Instagram. I think her name is pronounced Zasee Bates. Zizzy Bates. Zizzy Bates. Zizzy Bates. Yeah. Huh. But I, yeah, she she does a great job. I thought it was cool that uh, Brian Tyree Henry has a small role too. That's sort of an Atlanta reunion for those two. Yeah, I, I thought he was really. Um, he's, a, he's a great actor. But he, like, I thought for some reason they, they billed him like, uh, oh, he's in this movie. Well, because I guess, you know, they and don't have like, that. He's many. only in one scene. Right. They I don't have really a whole bummed. lot of big name actors in here. Um, I think. Didn't I? See, I saw in the credits that Mark Marin was in this. Yeah, he was the uh, he was the guy with uh, Robert De Niro. Okay, his, like assistant. I didn't. When I didn't recognize. Him. I didn't? Really oh, know, okay. But... I have recognized him just because he's kind of got. You kind of can tell Mark Marin the way he talks, but and then Robert. I thought Robert De Niro's thing was really good. Robert De Niro they gave him fake job. teeth. Um, but he, I don't know the whole, I actually liked the fact that they used all those Frank Sinatra songs. They really gave that movie a sort of that time period feel like right. they and and for all of you bat heads out there yes joker lives in gotham city yes thomas wayne is mentioned and shown i think he's actually played by he's played by a boromir lookalike the guy who uh he's I, that classic actor that always that, plays the sort of rich tycoon exactly hold on and i'll get him he yeah he looks his i've name seen him is, in a million uh, movies uh his name is brett cullen but he he was in yeah he was in Ghost Rider oh wow he was a congressman in The Dark Knight Rises, and that's interesting because he was actually he was in True Detective right Gerald Ginn, uh, Narcos he's in a lot of stuff he's he's keeping busy but he played Thomas Wayne and then we actually and surprising to me because I saw some headline too that was like oh no it wasn't a headline Alamo Drafthouse released a statement saying like parents don't bring your kids to this movie it's not a good movie for kids Absolutely Batman is right. not even in this movie. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. They're focusing strictly on the Joker. Guys, Batman is in this no, movie. No, Batman is not in the movie. Guys, Bruce Batman Wayne is, is in, in this movie. Little yeah. Bruce Wayne. Uh, no, it was it was cool. So you got to see a couple scenes with the young Bruce Wayne. And uh, they picked a good kid. He didn't really have a lot of work to do in the thing. But they even showed, and I thought this was a cool twist, on the uh, the crime alley murder of his parents. Uh, there's a really cool twist of how that murder comes about, and it's it's that part kind of weirded me too towards the end. I know this is a standalone movie, but I've seen some hints that maybe there's a sequel. I hope there isn't. No, I Joaquin really... wouldn't do another. 
Uh, apparently, there was some interview that he did where it seemed like he was hinting that he would be open to doing a sequel. I don't, I don't I, I'm would. sure that's got to be just uh, the, the interviewer wanting more clicks yeah. because it, it it's specifically at the very end says the end. But uh, for for those of you who don't know, or as we're going through this, so the Joker. He uh, consistently is going kind of in the spiral into madness as and, and it that that part I sympathize with because there was just one thing after another that just kept happening to him. So he uh, a co he works as a clown uh, like a sign spinner and one of he gets the crap beaten out of him by these punks. The whole whole of Gotham City is trash right now. Literally, like the trash company is striking, so there's just garbage trash everywhere which is funny call out to uh, invasion of the body snatchers sure. if only you know they would have probably cleaned up the city right but uh so he that kind of gets him a little upset and then a co-worker of his gives him a gun and says hey like use this to protect a great, himself. great thing to do when you got a guy who's clearly well, unstable exactly didn't make sense to me and he's like here take this gun and so he's like riding home on the subway and these Wall Street guys, who apparently end up being that they work for Thomas Wayne, uh, start joking him. And uh, they start beating him up, and he shoots him and kills all three of them. And I, it was interesting because, at least to me, the way that all of the, his murders went, they made more of a focus on him than the murder. Like, the murders themselves were super quick. Like, he shoots the, the he's like on the ground, shoots one guy in the head, shoots the next guy like a couple times, and then and then you don't see them ever again. Like... There's no, like, zoom in on their bodies. It's back to Joaquin Phoenix. So it's like the focus is more on him going crazy, turning into the Joker, than it is on the the violence piece, which I, I kind of like because I, I figured they would focus more on that, and they didn't. But So he kills those three guys, and now there's, like, a manhunt for someone in a clown mask. But at the same time, the whole city is now rising up with the Joker, essentially, of, like, everyone's wearing clown masks. It's it's the we're the one per, or the 99% sort of thing. They're going up against Thomas Wayne because well, yeah, no one Yeah, part of cares. that is because Thomas Wayne, when he they ask him about, these murders because they were Wayne Corp employees. And he says something about, you know, I hear this guy had a clown mask on. That makes sense because, you know, all these people who don't make anything of themselves, you know, coming after those of us who did, they're all a bunch of clowns. So people kind of take that as a rallying cry. Like, yep. yeah, you know what? We're going to dress up as clowns and kind of terrorize your city. Yeah. And that part was interesting because in a, in a way, it's like you could easily see that. And obviously that's the... That's textbook Gotham City. It's always the seediest, dirtiest sort of place, and so that sort of rallying cry would, is easy to, to follow. But uh, eventually what happens is he wants to be a stand-up comedian. He's, he's got this weird notebook with all these really weird jokes. I liked that he, like, didn't know how to spell. Like, he had a lot. Like, he there one of the big jokes that he had looked at that his uh, therapist was looking at, or social worker, it was, I, I wonder, it, it was like, what was it? I wonder if my death will make more sense than my life Something and like but that, sense yeah. was written like the money sense like c-e-n-t-s and i was wondering if they'd play that off of at some point but they didn't but um so he goes and is invited he well he does some stand-up comedy and i i kind of enjoyed it i thought it was a little funny but it it apparently was not and so the main guy robert de niro the the talk show host shows him on his show and kind of makes fun of him like says hey well look at this joker he's uh he's not funny at all and then eventually as that's going down he's so there's the second piece of it so he's now been so he's been fired from his job for having a gun he took it to a hospital where he was uh entertaining kids and it like fell out of his his pants and so he gets he's fired and then his mom ends up in the hospital 
because a couple of detectives go over to their house questioning her about his about the Joker in terms of the relation of those murders. So they're kind of wondering because when they went to his job, they're like, yeah, we gave him a gun. Like, what the hell? So his mom's in the hospital now, and that's where that whole thing starts derailing, where he finds out that he's not Thomas Wayne's son. He's adopted, but, you know, honestly, who knows the truth? So that makes him go even crazier. And so then he goes back to the hospital and kills his mom. And uh, that was a pretty crazy scene, I thought. I was kind of surprised by that because in the whole in the trailer, that whole, oh, my life is a tragedy, well, it's actually a comedy. I thought it played a lot better in that scene than it did in the trailer. What do you think? Do you think it worked better in the movie? I thought so. I thought so. Just because the way that they said it in the trailer, it, it sounded kind of cringy, the way they said it in the trailer. But when he says it to his mom, I thought that made total sense. And I thought that was, that to me was his breaking point, I thought, was him. That's him essentially saying... I've completely lost it. Well, right. He, you know, he realized that his mom wasn't really his mom and that, you know, this whole, he has this laughing condition that, you know, makes him laugh uncontrollably at random times. And, you know, he's been told that this is a condition, but the most likely thing is that it was the result of brain damage because apparently he was abused yep. by a boyfriend of his mom's when he was young. And so, yeah, I, yeah, that's definitely the tipping point for him when he does that because you know the first, the first killings of the Wall Street guys, arguably the first two were in self defense. The third one definitely wasn't, but I uh, I I keep going back to the influence from none other than Scorsese right. because of Taxi Driver and King of Comedy. Obviously, there's huge parallels there. Yeah, the Taxi Driver to me is the biggest. You know, first of all, you have how thin his character is and you know all this talk about how dangerous the city is you know it was a big issue for i think it was new york in the 70s and you actually had there was some famous case of you know a guy who murdered some people on a subway and the whole city was kind of okay with it because of the state of things it wasn't it didn't have the uh, you know poor versus rich undertones that this one did and i thought that was kind of interesting to contextualize things in a modern sense because there's some obvious social commentary there and then some of the things that joker says in his big monologue towards the end obviously have some resonance today too yeah that was and i thought that was a great monologue yeah even the even the end piece because i thought that end the end the end joke that he did i thought could have been very corny and cringy but it It was a little bit but not yeah. much. My favorite part of it, of course, is that he says the word society. We're all yeah. waiting for the joke yeah, to say we live in a society. We live in a society. And he says something to the effect of, what do you get when you cross a mentally ill loner with a society that steps on them every day or something? steps on them and treats them like trash. Yeah. And he, what is he, he doesn't say anything. He just yeah, no, he says you get exactly what you deserve. Oh, yeah, he says you get exactly what you deserve and then shoots uh, shoots the guy. In the, so we And I think there was probably discussion around that as to what the ultimate goal of the the movie of the joker was because his goal is always anarchy and chaos and uh and so i was wondering as the movie's going in like is he going to hold the the talk show hostage to get his own show or something like that and so nope he just ends up flat out killing the host which i thought was uh good in in terms of the the turn for it because i the whole oh we're gonna hold up what i thought was interesting though was um just the the I don't even know what the word is, but so he, so at that point he he is invited onto the show, and so he he's getting ready to go to the show, and the guy who gave him the gun and this this uh, smaller guy, and 
don't know what the the correct term for that would be. It's just a, a person who is not as tall. He's like a, He's a. It would be a dwarf. A dwarf. Or, yeah, a little okay, person. A little person. And so they come over, and there's some little person jokes in the beginning, but there's a really funny one in this in this part but so they come over and he answers the door and at this point he's dyed his hair green and he's painted his face white he grabs a pair of scissors and put them puts them in his back pocket and you're like oh no and so these two guys come over and they're like hey like why are you dressed like this and he's like oh he goes my mom i'm celebrating or something like that my mom just died they're like yeah that's why we came over and he's like no i'm actually doing really good and it's like yeah dude because you're messed up and um so basically he kills the big guy, the guy who gave him his gun. He like stabs him a bunch of times with the scissors. And the, the, the small guy is like, oh, he's like freaking out. And he goes, no, you, you can go. He's like, basically he tells it. And that was what was kind of creepy in my opinion. Is he, he says something like, you were the only one that was nice to me. And I, I hate that phrase because I'm, that's like what's used in all of those mo- the shooting movies. And like school shooting stuff is always like, the, oh, you were nice to me. Like I'm not going to, like that part was creepy. But, um. Well, the whole thing's creepy. The whole, yeah, the whole movie is, is pretty. It's got a very creepy undertone to it. So at that point, though, he gets his full makeup on, and is like dancing on the stairs. And the cops notice him. The cops are trying to talk to him. They've been trying to get a hold of him, and they get a hold of him, and he runs. And so they're they're chasing after him, and they go onto a subway full of clowns because everyone's going to some big protest for Wayne or or whatever. And he escapes. The cops actually get beat up by the other clowns because they, uh, just because of society. Well, and because the somebody tries to wrestle the gun away from the cop, and he shoots. And the he guy. shoots him. Yeah, so and then so everyone kind of riots. Yeah. So he shows up at the place, and uh, they kind of the De Niro comes in with Mark Maron and talks with him, and they're like, Mark Maron's guy has it doesn't want anything to do with this guy. He's like, what are you doing here? Like, why are you wearing all this makeup? And uh, De Niro's like, I kind of like it. Like, it's good. He's like, is this a political statement? And Joker says, no, no, I don't believe in anything. And I was like, uh-oh, here we go. And uh, so he's like, he says his famous line, the now famous line, which is, can you introduce me as the Joker? And, or as Joker. And so he he gets on there, gets on the, the show. And even, and this is where I, like, that part I sympathize with. Because even when he was on there in person, De Niro is still making fun of him. And I was like, dude, like, why are you doing this? You know what's going to happen. And so then, yep, he tells he tells a couple of jokes and then shoots him. And then the, the end of the movie is, and what I was trying to lead to is, he shoots him on live TV after admitting that he killed the three people on the train, and yet no security or police officers tried to stop him Well, you got to remember this is the 70s. So Right, and I guess they, they do make a point of making this seem like a, a earlier time period. They never say what, what, what the time period is. But, like, no one's around. And so then the next scene, he's in a cop car with two cops, where I would have assumed that those cops would have just killed him in real life or shot him for what he did. But they're in the car, and they get... At this point, the whole city is rioting. Like, all of these clown people are going crazy. People are getting killed. Cars are blowing up. And that's what happens is one of the Joker people wearing a Joker mask uh, follows Thomas and Martha Wayne into Crime Alley with Bruce and shoots them and it's a very different sort of one because in the comics they get killed because of uh the the guy joe chill was just trying to steal he was like a i mean they dive into it a little more in the comics but the the central piece of it was that he just killed him because he was a, a criminal and wanted their money sort of thing so he kills him takes their pearls in this movie it was a disney say something like you did this is what you deserve and then shoots him thomas wayne the the like 
killer guy who shoots Thomas yeah, Wayne? Yeah, he's, he's essentially like you... using the same line that Joker did when he shot Murray on TV. Yeah, and, and so he, he kills him that way. Him. Exactly, and so that was interesting. And then you get to see little Bruce with his face covered in blood, which was really messed up. And uh, and so then the Joker is out, he escapes, and, and the end of the movie is everybody, all these clown people cheering for him, like literally whooping and hollering for him because he has... Uh, he has broken the dam of uh, everyone who's you know been fed up with the way that things have been going on, and then the very and then that was what was even weirder. So then that scene happens, and then the literal next scene is him being interviewed in a psych ward. So did any of this happen to begin with? Yeah, I think I think that would have been a post thing where he's he's been admitted or uh, you know locked into what I would guess would be Arkham Asylum. Mm-hmm. And that they're trying to, you know, figure out what his motives were, all that type of stuff. And then apparently it seems like he kills the woman who's interviewing him. Right. Because he walks out of the room with a bunch of blood on his feet. And then they start chasing him down the halls. Uh, I just wanted to add, uh, in terms of time frame, I remember, you know, when when the Wayne family walks out of the theater, it's playing Blowout and the Zorro movie. And I just looked and those both came out in 1981. Mm. So this would be in late seventies or early eighties. Interesting. Okay. Well, and that that kind of goes for the time too. They play, like I said, there's a there's some Frank Sinatra songs, and then they play that song that was in uh, what was that movie called? The one with Ben Stiller with at the Fat Camp. Uh, I have no idea what do, that is. Do, 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 yeah, I don't know the movie of Ben Stiller at a Fat do, Camp. Though. Guys, that movie scared me as a kid, and I I don't think I ever actually saw the movie either. Ben Stiller's character was so scary, and and I've like I, I don't think I've ever been more scared of something in my life than Ben Stiller in that movie. It was called uh, uh, it was a, it was like a, a term or something, but it was like a camp where kids went to. Regardless, uh, there, that I thought that song was weird. I liked it, but it was like it, it came right after a really good orchestral piece. And then it was like right when he was going to go on the show. And I was like, okay, all right, cool. But yeah, that it left things open to interpretation because the end of the movie is Joker kind of running away from one of the uh, the people who work at the psych ward or whatever, and they're chasing after him. I would have been interested to see like a Harley Quinn uh, interviewing him sort of thing to, to hint at it. But honestly, I really my, – my biggest thing that I enjoyed about this movie is how disconnected it was – from any of the other DC movies and from anything really DC related. Obviously, when you're doing Joker, you got to have something Wayne related or Batman related. And so they did, but it was it the Wayne pieces of it were probably 10 minutes of the movie if if that. But the fact that it was just the Joker, I thought was really cool and I thought was a really good step forward for DC if we're talking about future forward stuff. I am really liking and I had talked about this prior. I'm really liking that the direction that DC is going with their movies. Uh, they seem to be realizing that they are not, they haven't really done well at creating a universe, and so maybe it's a better idea to just focus on specific movies that maybe aren't connected to other things. And it's honestly, it's serving them really well because uh, Wonder Woman, while it wasn't really connected, it was still, the Wonder Woman movie did well, Aquaman did well. Uh, Shazam was great, and now this movie, like they're, they're on a pretty good streak, I'd say, at this point. Yeah, I, I definitely enjoyed this one a lot. Um, I I have an issue. I mean, again, this is something we get into with Marvel, too. I don't like this whole notion of a connected universe. 
I prefer to take each of these movies as they come and just judge them individually. And I think that this one, as an individual movie, works very well. And I would be I would be surprised and maybe a little disappointed if they did a sequel because it works so well as a standalone film. And I think that that's an issue that a lot of the superhero movies from whatever side have is that I I I get annoyed by the tie-ins and I feel like those bog things down where you're you're kind of limited in what you can do because you have these other responsibilities to the larger picture. Right. But here, you know, Todd Phillips had free reign. He and Joaquin Phoenix just, you know, created this this contained world for Arthur Fleck and the Joker and I think it works really well. So you had said earlier, Ashwan confirms your where is he on your list of jokers? Uh I I would probably put him just under Heath Ledger. Mm-hmm. I don't think he can beat that performance because it's just I mean, it perfectly encapsulates this sort of pure evil form of the Joker. This one's great because you get the you know, you get the both sides of it. You get the upbringing, which you don't have for the others. Um, I, as as good as Jack Nicholson is, I don't find his to be as iconic. Right. I know everybody looks back now and acts like it is, but those movies aren't. I mean, they weren't anywhere near as uh, powerful as you know Christopher Nolan's or this one now in terms of portraying the Joker or anything yeah. else. It's more of an entertainment. And then, movie. of course, Jared Leto. <laughs> I don't. Uh, I don't think I need to say uh, anything about Jared Leto. Uh, uh, yeah, no. I. But I've had I, fun laughing at Jared Leto for years now. Yeah, and I actually my list would be the exact same as yours, and, and for that exact same reason, because um, and and despite the whole Heath Ledger piece of it, I just thought that that Joker depiction in Dark Knight was the Joker. That's like the Joker you know from the comics, the anarchy guy who you don't really know what to believe. But this was a great Joker because you got to kind of see what could turn somebody into someone like Joker. So that part was cool. Um, let me ask you this, Stevie. Uh, no Joker sequel, but a Batman movie with Joaquin Phoenix as a Joker. No, I don't think it would be well. I don't, or I don't think it would be good just because, you know, we spent all this time developing a character and then we'd have to see him... Uh, sort of as a side character if he was playing the villain to Batman in a movie and I just don't think it would work because the reason this one works so well is because of the intimacy mm-hmm. and developing his character and having to see him again in that same role where you know he's one-sided obviously we know by the end of this movie that we're not supposed to root for him I just don't think it would I don't think it would work well I don't think you can remove him from this to make another one no i agree with you and i think i think they made a good point of that because he's probably what would you say mid 30s yeah something he's like, like that. mid 30s and bruce wayne's like 10 well it, i mean it could still work just because you can have like a 60 you know, year old who knows how old the joker really is under all the makeup yeah right? but I mean, at, he, the, at the end of the day joker and batman are kind of the same age Sort of. Sort I don't, of. I don't know. I don't, I don't to, know the comic lore. I, I so. don't either. I just know that when they're fighting each other, it's like a Heath Ledger, Christian Bale type thing where they're like they're at least, if at most, a decade apart in terms of age. And at this point, it doesn't seem that way at all. Though that scene was super creepy when uh, Joker is talking with Bruce Wayne. Right. That part was super That was good. Was yeah. Well it was, done. It was really All good. around, great movie. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, final th- Do you have a rating for it? Uh... First impression, I'd probably say a nine out of mm-hmm. ten. Yeah, and I, I was th- I'm hovering around an eight or a nine as well. I I get why people are calling it a masterpiece. I do, but I also 
did get why some of the critics didn't like it. There, there was some tone problems, I thought, especially towards the end. And one thing I think I saw a couple people say was like, it didn't seem like Todd Phillips knew what kind of message he wanted to make or what kind of movie he wanted to make. And I sort of saw that of like, there were just some certain pieces of it where I was like, oh, okay, all right. Well, and, and I went with it. So I, I, regardless, it was a great movie. So any of you out there who are wondering or on the fence, check it out for yourself. And uh, don't take your kids. Don't take yeah, your mama. It's don't take not, your kids. Uh, don't take your mama. No, no way. That's a violent movie. And I, to that extent, I understand the critics wanting to maybe put people off of it because, you know, they have to warn people that this is a pretty extreme movie, especially, you know, because we're in this climate of superhero movies where everyone's sort of used to the same old, same old. They kind of have to warn people this is not yeah, in that camp. This isn't your brother's superhero movie. Right. And by brother, I mean me, right. my, my superhero movie. <laughs> yeah. But no, so yeah, I thought it was great. And uh, yeah, so that's where we'll wrap it up. So Stevie, thank you so much for doing another podcast. Sure. Two, two in the span of a week. Two what, in a row. What's going on? You have on? to start that's paying cool. me. I know. Geez, I, I need to get paid. And I think I said that on the last podcast. <laughs> we'll but reach into the viewers' pockets. Mm-hmm, yeah, exactly. Look out for our Patreon coming out. Just kidding. No, it's <laughs> not going to happen. Uh, but yeah, guys, for Comics and Cinema, I'm your host, Alex Klein. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you at the movies.